Revelation 12:11 And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Welcome to by the word of their testimony and here is your host Etienne McClintock. Dear listener, greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for tuning into the program again today. I'm delighted to have your company and I have a very special guest in the studio with me today here in Morissette. This lady lives in Thailand, but I understand you were born here in Australia and that is Helen Hall. Helen, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Yes, wonderful to uh, to have you here. And I've got friends who have an association with you from Melbourne, and they do some work over in Thailand, I think, on a regular basis. And uh, you, you're like part of their family, from what I understand. So that's the Katevskis in Melbourne. Yes, they've adopted me. All right, okay. Well, it sounds like you've adopted them as well, mm. from what they're telling yes, you. Yes, so. they're marvellous. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's um, John and Naomi Katevsky and, and their family, their three children. Yes. Can you perhaps tell us a little bit what you currently do? You, you're here in Australia at the moment, but you live in Thailand. What do you do in Thailand? I'm the administrator of a school in a refugee camp called the Mella Refugee Camp. Okay. And it goes from grade one to – actually, we've got prep this year, mm. prep to 12. So 13 years of classes, different mm. classes, including prep. Yes. Well, that's remarkable. And how many students would you have at the school? We're not sure yet because it changes during the holidays. Okay. But we're expecting over 900 this year. That's a big school. Yes, okay. it's, it's one of the biggest. I think there's one only one other bigger than us in the camp. So, right. Well, that would take a number of teachers to, to man a school like that. So how many teachers do you have in, in the 50, school? 51. 51 teachers. Mm. So that's quite a sizable operation. Now, our uh, next mm. question that comes to mind, having had a little bit of a business background, is how do you fund all of this? Well, the Lord sends money to us. We mm. we do we ca- we charge fees, okay. which are very low because yes. the par- the parents in the refugee camp can't pay more, yes. and we try to get sponsors in Australia mm. to support children to come to school. But the biggest problem is the uh, paying for the teachers. Right, that's the biggest challenge. Mm. You right. can't have okay. a school without teachers, of course. So of you've course. got to be able to. Uh, the paying is just because they don't get much food in the camp anymore. It's being cut back. Right, understand. Okay. So for them to survive, they need to have some level of income. Yeah, and for their family, many of them married with children. Right. So uh, obviously to fund this uh, costs a fair bit of money. So what what does it cost uh, roughly for a teacher? I mean, you've obviously got student teachers from what I understand. Yes, they're the ones who were year 12 last year and they, they give us a year. Uh, okay, so we have an agreement that if they do year eleven and twelve at our school, they must teach for a year if we require them, and okay. we usually pick up about fifteen, sixteen of them. Right, wonderful. So they go out of high school, they graduate high school, and then, and then for those ones you, that you've selected and the ones that yes. have the ability to teach, they then go and become teachers, I guess, trainee teachers. Yes, we well we we mentor them. We we give them three weeks of basic training of how to do things, hmm. depending on what subject they're going to teach. Okay. And then the experienced teachers mentor them as they go along. Okay, wonderful. 
And some of them do very well. Mm. We get people who are naturals and then we get the others who, who are having a lot of trouble because they can't control the kids. Okay. See, they're only a few years older than the kids. <laughs> so so it's difficult. They're just bigger kids themselves, really. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, I understand. They grow up very fast after a year of teaching. Mm, I could imagine, mm. yeah. So if you have a, a, a teacher like that, I think it's, uh, what, 550 Australian dollars a year would pay for a, a, a trainee teacher yes, like that? Yes, And, of course, if you have the, the fully qualified teachers, they are a little bit more expensive. It's 250 a month, which is about $3,000 a year, I believe. Mm. For one of those teachers So you've got to find ways of funding these teachers That's right That's Mm. the the biggest challenge You can't run a school without teachers Yeah And also we're trying this year to raise money To be able to send some people to university Uh, Okay, so these are some of the the, the people Have graduated high school They've shown promise now in their ability to teach the other students The trainee teachers And now you've got to find a way to fund them through it, get an education for them, mm. and then what happens once they've got that education? Is there once like, that once they've done their four years at university, they come back and work for us for four years. They're okay. the people who are getting six thousand a month. They're the graduates. Okay, six thousand baht a month. Mm. Okay, which is the two hundred and fifty Australian yeah. equivalent a month. Mm. Wow. Okay, so you actually have quite a good process there. You get people into the school. Those who show promise, then can go on for a year, and they can can tr- be trained. They've got trainee uh, teachers. And then those who show promise from there, they can go and they can get an education. You sponsor the education and they come back and they give four years. Yes. I guess there'd be some who stay longer than four years? Well, not too many lately because of the situation. But we have had – we also have kids who can win scholarships from outside. Now, this is possible but not for Adventists because Mm. they have classes on Sabbath. So the ones we're trying to sponsor are our own kids. Uh, but okay. many kids come to school because they have won scholarships to go to hmm. um, Burma, uh, to Germany, to other countries in Europe. Wow. NGOs run these scholarship program, And we've even got one girl who's in second year law at Hong Kong, hmm. and she came top of second year. And Is she's a refugee. Right? And yeah. she's a refugee. And when she finishes her law course... The final year is going to be funded to go to Harvard and do it over there. Mm. Interesting. So we're talking about refugees and a refugee school. Where is the school located? The, the school is um, on the board, the western border of Thailand, eastern border of Burma. Okay. And it's about eight hours from Bangkok mm. and another seven or eight to Chiang Mai. It's sort of but roughly not, not right in the middle. Okay, right. But you, the, the, the school is made up of refugee children? Yes, and we've got also Thai Mountain children who want to come because they haven't got any decent schools, so okay. they choose to come into the camp. So the camp, so you're in a refugee We're camp? We're inside a camp. Okay, so inside a refugee camp and you also have some kids from the mountains, surrounding mountains that come into the school as well? Yes, but we're, we're limiting them now because we can't manage with the number in the camp. Okay. And the Thai government... Um, the camp is run by the military. By the Thai military? Mm. I mean, right. they're in charge of it, and mm. they control all the entries to the camp. Ah, and okay. nobody entries can, and exits. Yeah, you can't yeah. just go in. I mean, you have to. any European that wants to come has to have a camp pass, which, which is obtained from the Thai government. Right. Okay, so you've got to apply for this? You've got to apply for that. Okay. And are there restrictions to the use of these uh, passes? Yes, they can only be used um, Monday to Friday. Okay. And you have to state the day you want to come in, mm. and you cut. You must be gone before it's dark. 
Okay, right. Because there's a, um, what do you call it, a curfew at night because sometimes they're a bit worried that the camp might be attacked and so they put a curfew in place. So this is quite a dangerous part of Thailand on well, the border there. Not, not, but there's many more dangerous than we are at the moment. Yes. Further down, mm. near the Solwyn River, it's more dangerous. The fighting's down there now. Right, okay. We're back from that. But we've got children who come from that area. In fact, the day before I left, we had several parents come who's, who were from areas where there's fighting and they wanted to put their kids in school. Mm. They had no money, so we were trying to find sponsors for them. Okay. So what's how what's the size of this camp? If you had to say square kilometres or, you know, from side to side, I mean, how... how it's long and thin. The mountains are thin. behind us. Okay. And it takes about five minutes to drive from one end to the other. Oh, okay. It's very, very long and thin. Hmm. And we've got children from all different sections. The camp's divided into three major sections. Okay. We have children from every section. Right. And roughly how many people would be in, in that camp? Everybody differs on the numbers. Okay. Uh, it depends whether you're feeding them or whether you're the government that says, and there's a lot of illegal people hiding with relatives in the camp because they don't want to go back to Burma. Mm. And your so rough assessment? about 40,000. For, okay, so it's, a, it's Might have gone down a bit this summer, but roughly. Wow. See, people really want to go back to Burma, but they want to go back as proper citizens uh, to live in peace and contribute to the country. Mm. But... Um, they don't want to send them back like that. Uh, okay. It's a bit like the situation with the Rohingyas. Okay. And that went on with the other tribal people for a long time. Yes. But because they weren't together in one place and they were separated, you didn't hear much about it. Okay. Right, so there's, there's a, quite a few challenges there. Then obviously political challenges as well, and there's very tight controls at this camp. Mm. So does that restrict your work in any way with these tight controls coming in and going out of the camp? Oh, well, if there's a... If it's a public holiday, you can't enter. Okay. So if they and there's many Buddhist public holidays, okay. where you have to have holidays. So therefore, we can't go into the camp on those days. Mm. So we have to have school holidays. So by the time and also by the time you have Buddhist holidays, Muslim holidays, Christian holidays, tribal holidays, there's always holidays in the camp. It's very hard to get enough time with your kids to run a proper school. Yeah, I could imagine. Hmm. And is there, um, as far as religious freedoms are concerned, there's no issues within that camp? At the moment, it's all right. Okay. Um, Because you're obviously running a Christian school. Yes. And you're sharing the gospel with the the young kids. Um, We we teach Bible in school. Okay. Um, In every class, we teach health also. Hmm. Um, and there are other Christian schools there, but there's Muslim schools, there's Buddhist schools. Okay. Um, there are lots of schools in the camp, but we're the most popular. <laughs> oh, really? Can you do you know why that is? Yes, because we've got higher academic standards, oh, and the people okay. really desire their kids to have a good education and have a future. Sure. Well, if if someone can go to your school and then find up themselves in Hong Kong studying law, that says something about the academic qualifications that they receive through your school. Yes, and last year there were two scholarships offered for refugee children mm. to go to Europe, and we won both of them. Really? And so they're saying, why does EVA get all the scholarships? It's and because you're churning out It's because students. we're trying hard to, to keep them in school and make them work, and it's very difficult because many schools just the kids wander around and come when they feel like it. Oh, really? And we, we, we try to be really strict about attendance at classes. They mm. have to be because... We sit exams from India. Okay. These are church exams from church-based schools in India. Mm. And they're hard. 
particularly maths and science. Right, Indians okay. are very good at maths and science. So our kids struggle, but we it keeps the standard up. Yeah, okay. I, start, I started that a long time ago hmm. because I wanted some way with English medium that we could compare ourselves and know how we were going. Okay. See, the other schools around are all time medium, hmm. and so you can't compare with them. Right. So we wanted to have some way to keeping the standards up. Okay, that makes sense. And see, India is British in the past, hmm. and so Australia and British is, you know, fairly similar. Yes, so the standards for, are very mm, similar. So for a long time we did, we use all textbooks we, we managed to get from Australia. Mm. Now we're having to cross over into Indian because it's a bit different. But for basic things I still use, they used to have a course for migrants in Australia called Learning English Age 8 to 12. Okay. And I'm still using it. Is that right? So it still works I've well? I've used it for years and it really works well. Wonderful. And people, you know, who don't know any better... NGO people come in and look at it and say, this is long out of date. Hmm. English teaching doesn't go out of date. Well, the language it, has probably the changed that much in the last 20 or 30 much, years. No. No. <laughs> so we can still use it. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Now, um, I've got to ask this question. So children who come to your school and then they hear the gospel and they decide they want to follow Jesus, what happens with them? It's becoming more difficult for them. Okay. Originally, it wasn't too bad. But now nobody wants to go back to Burma with a Christian in their family. It causes ah, big problems. Really? And it's even worse if, if we've got intermarriage in the camp between Muslim and uh, Buddhist. Mm. Now, if they want to go back, they've been told they have to divorce the Muslim. Otherwise, they can't go back to Burma. All right. So Burma is predominantly Buddhist. Yes. Okay. And what about Christians? Are Christians treated any better? Christians in the past have been not too bad, but it's okay. getting a bit more. They're becoming very, very much like India's becoming against. They're becoming very Hindu. Yes. Well, Burma is becoming very Buddhist. Mm. And the Buddhists before used to be easy, you know, not 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 against you terribly, but now yeah. it's becoming different. They were a little bit more peaceful in the Hindus, yes, I guess. They the were. Buddhists. Yeah, but I, I've understood that there's changing. It's changing. Yeah, and there's more lines of demarcation being drawn now regarding religion, which then obviously affects the way people consider the borders and their, their own nations. Yes, and I think it's coming in Thailand too, although not in quite the same way, but it is coming. Right. And they, you know, don't like um, other people from outside. They don't want Westerners. Oh, okay. They, uh, they, want, to, they want their own people mm. to be able to do everything for themselves, even if they're not trained already. So we are flat out now trying to train people so that they can take over when Westerners can no longer work there. Right, so you've already seen what's going to happen potentially in the future and you're now making preparations, preparations for that through training people to make sure that they can look after things if, if things turn nasty yes. for Westerners. In the but you, you can't be sure what's going to happen. And at the not. moment yeah. in the camp, it's very difficult for them um, they're easygoing people. Mm. And even though they see it's wrong or they know it shouldn't be, they're not game to say so. Okay, they'll just accept it and tolerate yeah, and, it. And with yeah. the school, if they blame somebody, there's a big problem on the young teachers. Even if they know this person's done something wrong, they've cheated or something, they won't say because the parents will come back at them later and it will be trouble. But if I say, then they don't question it. Uh, okay. But they will question it from their own people, so it's hard for them, particularly young people. Mm. If they're older, you've got more hope, but all our teachers are young, just about. Oh, okay. Very few older ones. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, if they only come you know, four years after the education, they would be all under 30, I guess, the oldest ones, wouldn't oh, they? Oh, most of the teachers would be 18, 19. Is that right? Mm. Wow. And a lot of them aren't very much older than the kids they teach. Mm. Now, last year we had a girl teaching maths because she was clever and she could teach the senior maths. And she was. Uh, there were kids in the class who were older than her. She was 17. Is that right? She'd finished year 12. We had a teacher from Australia, a volunteer, who came for a short time hmm. to, to coach the kids in maths. He's a maths professor. Okay. And um, he said he hadn't seen any kid as good as this one. She was brilliant. But she was very unhappy with the kids because they wouldn't shut up and be quiet. Okay, so and the control was, side of things. She was very quietly spoken. Mm. And so many times uh, she'd say, I'm, I'm talking too loud, and I'd stand in the doorway and I couldn't hear her. <laughs> So she was worried about disturbing the people next door. But when you've got only a curtain between Mm. the the classes, people have to get used to that. And as long as they don't do drilling, Mm. it's not too bad. So with uh, just coming back to the children now who become converted to Christianity, they accept Jesus as their Lord and Saviour and they become Christians, Um, do they find, are they readily accepted by their families within the, the, the camp? Some are, some are, some are not. Okay. Some have big problems. In fact, a lot of people take the kids out of school and send them back to relatives in Burma to areas where there are no Christians. Is that right? Yeah. So, so is we, there a level of persecution that you see with some of the kids, uh, especially well, the way some it's families... it's the way the families react. Yes. And we've had other people who belt the kid who's been baptised, beat him, mm. or then they refuse to allow them to come to church. Mm. Um, and others, like last year we had a girl who was baptised and the parents went to live down at Methawar, which is close to where the fighting is now. Yes. And they didn't want to stay there because there's too much fighting, so they decided to go back to their own area, which was very deep in Burma, a long way. Mm. And um, they rang us up and they said they've decided that their daughter will be very unhappy if she has to go with them because she's the only Christian. And they said, would you promise to look after her? And so she stayed, and we, we were looking after her. She was in school, but she wants to be a nurse. Right. So she's gone to nurses' training in the camp. Okay, wow. So we get these sort of problems, and then mm. we get others who eventually the family will come around and become Christian too. As well. Mm. Okay, wonderful. So it's a great avenue for sharing the gospel through the children and, and some even then siphoning into the families and the families becoming uh, Christians as well. Yes, and, and also recently we've had this experience with health. Mm. Um, this, these kids in grade two, little kids, eight-year-old, told his father he didn't want him to chew betel nut or drink alcohol anymore. And the father had promised to buy him a bike if he passed all his subjects in grade two because he was naughty and not working. Right. And he passed. And mm. so we met the father and the father t- told us that, yes, he had agreed to this and uh, he had stopped alcohol, mm. but he was struggling with betel nut because it's very addictive. Ah, uh, okay. Wow. So even the little kids, you know, the parents will listen to the little kids more than the older ones. Hmm. Yeah, you know, the little kids have a way around their parents' hearts. Yeah, okay. Oh, that's and fantastic. Oh, well, praise the Lord for that. Perhaps we could step back. I know you were born in Australia. Can you give us just a little bit about your background, where you were born, the family influences? Because I sort of want to start from there and then just see how you ended up doing what you're doing. Well, I was born in Melbourne okay. in the Queen Vic Hospital. Hmm. 
And uh, my mother had had many miscarriages before me and I was the last hope and the only child. Okay. And um, I, I was uh, a six-month baby. Because so she were you a prem? I was prem six months. Wow. Okay. And I was barely two pound when I was born. And in those so, days in the, in, in the Victoria Hospital, that was, you know, a big thing to survive if you were that old. Yeah, no, the, the, the chance of you surviving, because we're talking, what, 80 years from what yeah. I understand? Wow, that's a long time ago. And you survived in six yeah. months. I was the wonder of the hospital. Mm. For years I had to be taken in every year for them to see me because they were amazed that I was surviving. But I don't know why, but the Lord's looked after me, and I think maybe Wonderful. if you're a prem baby, you become stronger in the end mm. <laughs> because okay. I was never sick. Is that right? I wasn't allowed to be insured because they said I was too great a risk. But mm. through the whole of primary school, I think I only got I got measles once, and that's all. Okay. This, well, that, so you were healthy in spite of that because you're mm. saying sometimes, you know, with, with kids who are born prem, they could have some challenges, have health challenges. Problems. Yeah. yeah. And were your your parents were they believers? My mother was an Adventist, but okay. my father wasn't. Right. He had planned to be an Adventist, but he went to the war, and when he came back, he decided he couldn't support his family without working on Sabbath, so he didn't become. Right. But okay. he was a he put his age up to go to the go to the war, oh. and he was a runner for the. He was very tiny, mm. and he was a runner between the trenches for the uh, generals. Ended up in the Burmese in the German trenches several times and really? survived. Mm. But he was blown up in the war, and he they didn't know he had a fractured pelvis, and he walked around in the front lines for three months with a fractured pelvis. Incredible! Before they shipped him home, and then he was in hospital, military hospital, for mm. more than a year. They broke all the bones in his back to reset them because they had grown crooked. Wow, and oh, that, that, led, that led led to arthritis mm. in later life. But they said he'd never walk, and he said they gave him a stick, and he said, "I'm not walking with a stick." He threw it away, and he walked. Okay, so he was quite a determined. He was very person. determined. Mm. He, was a, he was a sportsman. Okay, he was actually in the Australian Junior Eleven cricket squad before he went to the war. Right. But and then when he came back, that was, sport was his life, mm. and so it was very hard for him to adjust. Understand. So he didn't oppose my mother bringing me up an Adventist, mm. but he would never come to church or anything. But that determination obviously is rubbed off. It must be a genetic thing because you've obviously <laughs> had to have been very determined to put up with some of the difficulties and challenges that you faced through your life. Well, later when my mother died, my father got war neurosis. We mm. didn't know it was war neurosis at that time. I had no idea about it. I mean, people didn't know anything about those things in yeah. those days, and it was terrible. He... he uh, Remarried after my mother died, and went, and when I came back from New Guinea, I worked in New Guinea for two years. Okay. Um, so your background, you trained in uh, education in primary, Mel- Melbourne Teachers College. I trained. Okay, and that I was mean Turak Teachers College. Turak Teachers College. Yeah. Okay, and you completed primary education there in Coburg then... High School in Melbourne. Okay. Yes, I was, I'm a Melbourne person. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and then you went and did some missionary work in New Guinea for a while. Two years. Okay. Taught at Kabayufa in the in the Highlands. Right. And loved it. Oh, you enjoyed it? Oh, yes. So I that gave you a taste, for, a taste for missionary work, I guess, did it? It made me want to go. I didn't like being in, in a city, in a big school. Mm. I wanted to go out in the back blocks and work with from the beginning with the primitive people. Yes. But single girls were not allowed to do that. Right. In fact, they didn't want to send me to New Guinea because I was single. Mm. But um, 
the Lord worked it out. And anyhow, when I came home, I, I really wanted to go back, but because my father was sick, I couldn't. And then I worked in Melbourne schools, in Adventist schools. Right. Okay. So I understand you taught at Lilydale Primary School for a L- while? Lilydale Academy. Okay. Oh, at the Academy. Okay. Yeah, I, I was the first preceptress. <laughs> what is a preceptress? In charge of the girls' dorm. Ah, okay. In fact, right. I was, right. It's, like, uh, it's like a dean the, of the, the yeah, girls' dorm. The yeah, first okay. year it was there, I was there. We, we, we had quite a good experience there from, for learning to be pioneers. Mm. Mud everywhere and nothing finished, you know. It was really something. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. And you also studied music, from what I understand. Yes, I, I got to teach music there, and so then I went to Melbourne Uni and did a music degree. Okay, wonderful. And taught music in the three schools, mm. Hawthorne, Nunawading, and... Um, so you were across three schools? Yeah, I went around teaching music. Okay, and is music still a part of your life? Not so much. I love okay. it, but yes. um, I'm feeling that the basic things I have to have first. It's the icing on the cake. Yes. Okay. We do a lot of singing. Right. Okay. Beautiful. Now, uh, when we come back, dear listener, you are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony. My special guest is Helen Hall, who runs a school of about 900 students at the moment in Thailand on the Burma-Thailand border. And this school is run in a refugee camp. And the name of the school is Eden Valley Academy. And uh, when we come back from our break... We will hear a little bit more about how she got involved in this work that she's doing currently in Thailand. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after the short message. Who is God? An atheist will say, who is who? That there is no God. An agnostic will say that you just can't know, which kind of amuses me. An agnostic will say that you can understand the theory of relativity, brain surgery, geology, meteorology, zoology, algebra, calculus. Humans can design bridges and tall buildings and nuclear weapons and smartphones, but we can't even know whether God exists in spite of the Bible and thousands of years of theological study. Okay, a person who has been terribly disappointed might say that God failed him or her. The victim of a tragedy might say that God doesn't care. Someone who loses a loved one might be heard to say, A loving God wouldn't do this, which of course would ignore the fact of sin and its devastating consequences. So who is this God we talk about? You could answer that a hundred different ways, but let's look together at 1 Corinthians 10.13, which says, God is faithful. There you go. That's who God is, or maybe what God is. He is faithful. Now, I recognize that those few words are lifted from a much longer verse, It's a verse that talks about God's ability to get you out of the midst of temptation. But those words, those extra words, only reinforce this point, that God is faithful. And that point stands on its own. How faithful is God? Supremely faithful. But my life sometimes hits rock bottom. Well, that has to do in part with your choices, in part with the choices of others, and in large part with the devil who's trying to ruin you and cause you to give up on God. He'll do that any way he can. If losing someone causes you to lose faith in God, that's where the devil will aim. Financial loss, stress, a person disappointing you. He'll do whatever it takes to cause you to give up on God. God, meanwhile, won't give up on you because God is faithful. I'm John Bradshaw for It Is Written. Let's live today by every word. 
Dear listener, welcome back. You are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony, and my special guest in the studio is Helen Hall from Thailand, where she operates a school for refugee children. They have about 900, over 900 students there, and they have a staff of 51 teachers at the moment. So she operates a school, and basically you live by faith because you have to rely on donations and people who believe in what you're doing to fund the school. So I'm curious to know, We just before the break we were talking about the fact that you've got a uh, you completed primary education You studied, you went and did some missionary work In New Guinea, you absolutely loved it Then ended up coming back uh, Because your dad had ill health in uh, Here in Australia And then you worked for Lydiedale Academy Where you also studied music and taught music But how did you get involved In the volunteer work in Thailand? I met a lady called uh, Dulcie Scale I, I was sponsoring kids through Asian Aid Okay and I went to a camp that they had, and I met this lady, and she talked Karen the whole weekend. Mm. I hardly knew who they were. Yes. I'd read Eric Hare books, but I really didn't know much about them. Okay. And she said, would you come uh, for, as a volunteer and help me? Because she'd been asked to try and up the standard of education among Karen. She wasn't a teacher. Right. Okay. So uh, eventually, after a lot of problems of getting a visa to get out there, I ended up with the Karen. Mm. And, um, so how long did you plan to stay when you got involved with the Karen people? I had a one-year leave of absence. Okay. And uh, that one year just sort of stretched. Okay. So um, you have now done about 36 years there, if I'm not, yes. not mistaken. So uh, did you ever plan to, to spend 36 years in Thailand? I planned to spend one year, but... The people were so wonderful and they were so resilient. In, it was a lot of problems, but I went there and I hadn't been there a month when they were told they had to stop being in Thailand and go back to Burma. Wow. So I had to choose, was I going home after a month having done nothing mm. or was I going to cross over? The, Burma was the river, the other side of the river. Okay. So I went with them. Right. And then so we were bombed and everything on the other side during the second year. Is that right? Mm. So life-threatening situations that you had to face there, but to give education to these children, that's what you did for a while. Yes. And mm. then when I decided I, I wasn't going to take it anymore, I'd go home because we had to move again. And I had already seen the school. After we moved from the Burma side, we built our own school because they said, if you start your own Adventist school, yes. um, they'll be able to see the way that schools are run and that you can get standards. Mm. And if you stay with them, there are regulations. You won't be able to do anything. And so we separated. Ah, uh, okay. And we built our own school. But right, then so we went back to, across the border, went back into Thailand and built, uh, built a school there. Yeah. Mm. Oh, and, and then they said they asked me to stay and run a school for the Karen on the Burma side, and that was right up near the Solwyn. Okay. Uh, very far up. And so we went up there and started the school there, and we were there for two years, and then the Burmese kept attacking, so we moved. Then mm. we came to different places. And after the fourth move, I got to the stage when, oh, I can't do this anymore, Lord. So when it's you say a move, you've got to rebuild and reset up your structure and your classrooms and everything you've else like a, that? Uh, yes, and mostly you, you haven't got any materials to start with, but we had right. built down on the Moy, um, close to the – close to the border, hmm. after the third move, we built a nice school down there. And Dennis Tidwell, who had a hospital on the Burma side, had been attacked. And so they decided to pull down the hospital when the Burmese weren't around, and they gave us the wood. Oh. So we had to float it down from the hospital to the school. We rebuilt the school, hmm. and it was just going nicely. 
and the Burmese came. They had a sand bank in the middle of the river where they were uh, milling the t- timber that they were cutting. Okay. And the Burmese were wanting to stop it because mm. that was that was giving money to the Korean army. Okay. And so we were stuck in the middle of politics mm. and they were attacking and we were getting the shells coming over on our side. Wow. So we had to move. So were, were any lives endangered at that time? Did you did you have to go and lie low somewhere so you avoided being... Oh, we used to have to get up in the middle of the night and run. Mm. And from where we were was the river flat. If you went up the hill a bit further between the rocks, there was a place called Lay Clur, which was round, surrounded by rocks, okay. and you were safe in there. There was a narrow passage on one side that could be guarded by a few people, mm. and there was a narrow passage on the other side, so you were safe. Wow. So we, we lived in, we made tents out of bits of plastic, and we slept under uh, our storehouse up there, and we ran school up there for quite a while, and then we went back to our own place, yes. and then we were attacked again, so we fled again. Wow. So well, eventually that's... we had to move. Mm. And we moved to this place near the caves. It was a long way from the other side. And we had to carry by hand. We had to pull down all the buildings and carry the wood by hand. Mm. The big posts were dragged by elephants. Oh, is that right? And then we rebuilt on near the caves. Mm. What's the climate like in that area? Um, hot. Do you, do you get much rain or do you have a rainy season? Yeah, we have all? a rainy season. That should be from June to about September or October. Okay. But it's the seasons are all mucked up at the moment. Right. Like they are everywhere else. Every in the world. yeah, well, they all blame climate change. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Wow. Okay, so I understand that you know apart from the fact that you're living with your life being endangered by this war that's going on, you also have some health challenges at times as well. I understand you've had malaria. Yes, I've had it three times and I was three times. terrified of it because I people were dying all the time with malaria around the place. Yes. So it's and a life-threatening illness. It is. It can mm. be if you don't get it treated soon enough. Yes. And this time I was taking prophylactics for six months mm. every year and then I'd stop in the summer because it's not good to keep taking them continuously. Yes. And I decided I was coming home. I, at that stage I used to spend three years and then come home for a year. Okay. Uh, for, a, for, for a month For a month Then go back Go back again okay. But anyhow I hadn't taken my medicine mm. And I was t- due to go home And I suddenly realised If I went to Melbourne Nobody would know anything About malaria there mm. So I should check first So I went to the hospital For a check And they said you, You've got malaria Wow But only a little bit Okay And so they said What are we going to do And so the, the nurse there said Let's see what happens Come back in three days mm. So I went back in three days and there was much more malaria. And they said, what are we going to do? We wait a bit longer, so come back tomorrow. When I went back the next day, the slide was so full of antibodies, they said they'd never seen as many before. Antibodies against malaria. malaria. So your body was fighting the malaria disease. And so I didn't feel sick or anything at that stage. Mm. And um, I went back the day before I was due to go home, which was I went back on the Friday, and there was no malaria at all. It was all gone. That is remarkable. And so, from because then, typically with malaria, I mean, you you can't build up an immune against the cancer. It, it, it's a it's a it's a disease that can be repeated, but you can sort of manage. It can, but I don't believe this business that can't be immune. Okay. And neither do the people up there, because they the doctor says to me now, if ever I get a temperature, mm. it won't be malaria. Because because you've got so much antibodies. Every time they test, there's too many antibodies. So. So you've in, I, in I effect, think, you believe you've got a, an immunity mm, against. Um, 
malaria? I think everybody up there, eventually, most people anyhow, build up this immunity. Mm. And it's when you've got some other sickness, flu or, you know, cold or something, yes. that your immune system's down that the malaria attacks. Uh, okay, but if you've understand. got enough antibodies, well, then you're going to be fine. Mm. So it's the Lord's blessing to me because I've seen missionaries up there who had to go home yeah. because they had malaria so often and there was nothing they could do. It was life-threatening. Mm. So what do you think it is that the Lord, why did the Lord place on your heart to come and live this life? It's a life of adventure, but it's a life of danger and it's a life of giving up the comforts of a first world country to go and live in Thailand amongst the people who are refugees. doesn't feel like giving up anything to me. I'm oh, quite, really? I'm quite happy. You know, people say to me, no hot water, you can't have a hot shower. Mm. I only want hot water if I'm sick. Okay. I know when I'm sick. If I'm sick, I have to have hot water to bathe. Mm. We don't have showers. We dip a, you know, dip a baths. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm very happy with the cold water. It's hot, so why not have cold water? Okay. You know, and so it doesn't worry me at all. But I think that the Lord placed my circumstances that I have no family relatives. When my father and mother died, I had mm. no relatives at all. Oh. Okay. That I knew there were relatives in Cairns, but they were not Adventists, and I didn't know them anyhow. Mm. So I was sort of free. Okay. And I had to look after my parents when I was in my 20s. Yes. But other people now, my contemporaries, are doing the same as I did then. So, you see, I, w I was free to do this. Other people are not. And I think the Lord has given me the freedom to mm. be able to... to uh, other people had to worry about coming back to parents. I didn't have anyone to come back to. So the Lord has really shaped the path that you've been walking and he's been leading you all the way through it. I believe this, yes. Yeah. Um, I understand also that uh, you've at times you've had people come into your house wanting to abduct you. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that story. That happened my second year it, it, working in our own school up near the Solween. Hmm. And this person came in at night, and I think he was a spy. Um, in fact, I know he was. And he, I was in sleep, asleep, or I wasn't asleep. It was very hot and humid. And someone came to the door of the bedroom, which was just a curtain, and shone a torch. And uh, I, I wasn't covered with a sheet. It was too hot. But I knew this was the, they put the torch behind their hand. Okay. And you could you know how people you can see the light between your fingers. Yes, when, yes. And so I knew there was someone there. So I quickly wriggled and moved my feet to get under the sheet and pull mm. the sheet up over me. And when the minute I wriggled, the light went off. Mm. And so then after that, the light started to come up, creep up the bed mm. and I knew they were trying to see my skin because there was a rumour that there was a European over there Right. and as the light came up I'd wriggle a bit more I was trying to find my torch because I had a torch under my pillow mm. when I found my torch it wouldn't go on Oh. wouldn't work and so they kept coming up and so I thought well I'm going to have to do something so when it got near enough for the, to get towards my face I sat up in bed and I shouted who are you mm. and they ran Oh, okay, it scared them. So th th we called the soldiers because there were soldiers guarding. It was on the Burma side. Yes. And they all sort of said, oh, couldn't possibly be anybody. You know, it's, it's meningitis. But the girls in the next room to me n knew also. Mm. And we were all scared. We stayed together in one room that night. Right. Anyhow, uh, because about a week later, um, I was they, they put more soldiers on mm. because they were... They they wanted to make me feel more comfortable. Okay. And these soldiers did a beat, and it was a, about a block. You know, they had to walk down to the school, which is the end of the block, and my house was at the other end. Mm. And I was recording things for reading, 
and I used to do it with a motorcycle battery, okay. and the battery was flat. Mm. But I had another one charging down at the school on the generator, so I took the flat one down, got the other one and came back. It was just on dark, and I'd left a lantern, uh, kerosene lantern burning on my table, and as I came back I saw a figure silhouetted behind the lantern oh. showing against the, the wall. Mm. And I should have gone back and get the soldiers, but I was cross because they, they hadn't believed me before. So right. I thought, well, I'm going to find out for myself what's going on here. So I mm. went in. I dumped the thing on the table. The, the person disappeared. And they couldn't have got out because there was only one gate. Right. So they must be somewhere in the grounds or in the house. Mm. So I went up and looked in my bedroom. No one's in there. The girls' bedroom next door. No one's in there. Kitchen. No one there. So there was only a, one other place, and that was the toilet that was behind the kitchen downstairs under the house. Right. And there was a door. Mm. So I kicked the door and shone, shone a torch in there, and there was a man in there. Mm. And he was standing with something in his hand like this, and he was against the wall. And uh, I shouted, who are you? And he kicked the door back at me. Yes. So I noticed that he had on a khaki army thing. Okay. But he didn't – I don't know why I noticed this, but, the, you know, they have the – at the side they have the colours that yes. come down. Yeah. The thing for the colours was there, but there was no colours. Oh. So I didn't know what was going on. So anyhow, I thought for a moment, and I thought, oh, it's a, it's a Korean soldier mm. coming to use the toilet. And I thought, don't be stupid. They wouldn't come into the house to use the toilet. Yeah. So I pushed the door back again, and the man came up. And when he started to come up out the door, I got scared then, and I ran to the wall and I, a window, and I shouted to the soldiers, and they came running. But this man came right past me into the kitchen. There was a low door. He leapt over the door, mm. ran across the yard, and he was joined by another man who was hiding behind the, the bamboos, uh, the oh. banana trees. And they jumped the fence and ran. Mm. And uh, the, the Korean soldiers arrived with no torches. Oh. So no one could see, but they ran yeah. down the, to the creek, which went up the mountains to Burma, and uh, uh, one of the Korean soldiers' wives was cooking. They ran past her cooking fire, and she saw them. Right. One man had an automatic machine gun. Mm. The other man had a dagger. And that was right. the man And the that one with the dagger was the one that was in your house? Yes. And the other one was just on, on standby was very close? waiting to help him. Yeah. So they were after you? They were after me because the Korean had embarrassed them recently by kidnapping a French worker from Burma right up to the border. Okay. And they got them right through Burma and with soldiers everywhere and they met, put, them in, put this, these French people in a hut just down near us. Mm. Further down, I didn't know they were there. Wow! But um, that's how the MSF came into the into in with the Korean and began the health work for the Korean. Oh, okay. Because these people, you know, but um, from then on, you know, we were in danger because they were trying to um, attack. They didn't believe that there would be a European living there. Hmm. Wow. And so how do you make sure that you don't have people who might be military or young military, I don't know at what age they, they join the army, come into your schools and that you, is there a vetting process or you just say, listen, if somebody needs education, we'll just take them into the school anyway? There wasn't then. And even now we have, we will accept anybody, hmm. any religion, any race who wants to come to school. Right. Okay. Provided they really want to learn. We don't want kids who just want to wander around in a uniform saying they're EVA students, ah, okay. which many people want to do Yes, because um, we've got educational standards now, so people all want to belong to us. Mm. 
So I understand there's a story where you did have someone enrolled as a student at your school, but it turned out that he was actually a spy. Yeah, this was in the early days. Uh, early days as yeah, well? Yeah, okay. right at the same time as we were having the problems up there. This guy um, was trying to get the, the Karen uh, code for talking on the radio. Okay. And he was living in the house with the person who was in charge. Of radio? Of the radio, and, and it paid a lot of interest because they said he was sent by the Karen to become a commando and a future leader. Mm. So that's why they sent... They used to send all their people that they wanted to be leaders to our school because they could learn English and they were trying to find what some ways of getting educated people. Wow, okay. So anyhow, he ended up um, stealing money and stealing a gun from the Karen. Mm. Because if you steal a gun, that's the worst thing. Money doesn't matter, but guns do. Okay. And so they tried to capture him and he escaped and he uh, shot dead the man at my front gate and three other really? people that night. Yeah, he wow. killed three people. Then he escaped to, to Burma and they caught him on the last checkpoint. Mm. They brought him back, tried him, shot and killed him. So mm. they couldn't have jails because there was no way they can have guard prisons when they're trying to guard themselves. Right. So anyone who was caught who was a spy was always shot, mm. which was very sad. I thought I was living with, I don't know what, I was heathens, I was astonished. Yes. But anyhow, I, I stayed with them and then we moved many times and we're still battling along. Mm, wow. So how many times would you have crossed that river? Is it the, uh, the Moy River? Um, yes. Um, backwards and forwards, and has there been any dangerous episodes uh, that, that have come from that? Well, we're, we're not... Oh, well, we, we crossed them every time we went up there, but I went up there to train teachers, mm. and the boat capsized. Oh, really? So w w you were some other people on the boat when yeah, this happened? Yeah, there were four of us. Two couldn't okay. swim and two could. The boatman and I could swim, and we were at the back. The two front ones... Uh, couldn't swim, and they can't, they ended up in shallow water. We ended up in deep water. Okay. And I got caught by the current. And so it's quite down. a strong current running through. Oh, there very strong. Mm. Uh, people, had, I think it was eight people had drowned the previous week when their boat turned over in the same Before place. Before your boat had uh, yeah. turned over. Wow. The, the the engine cut out on the rapids, and that's made a boat turn over. Ah, uh, okay. So if you had an engine, you probably would have been all right, but with the engine yeah. cutting out. It's, I, I don't know why this particular place it was. I think the angle they had to cross or something was difficult. Right. There's a lot of rocks. Okay, so you get thrown out of the boat with other people. So yeah. what happens next? I, I swam to the to a big log that I could see because there were a lot of submerged trees. Yes. And it was a flooding time. Ah, so a lot of water. Yeah, mm. and the boat came up behind me uh, and rubbed me, rubbed the skin off off my back. You know, rubbed very hard against me, and I'm kicking it with my feet to try and get the boat away. Yes. Hanging onto the tree. Mm. And the boat went down under the tree and went through, and later we saw it miles down the river smashed up on the rocks. Wow. Because the current was going that way. There was a wide part where the current went. You couldn't get through. Mm. But the boatman had managed to get through. He was stronger. And they came down and they could see me. And they okay. put out a pole, a bamboo pole, and they told me, grab the pole and we'll pull you across. Mm. So after much... Being scared much time, I, I knew I couldn't save forever. Are you forever. a good swimmer? No, not not strong. Oh, okay. I can swim, but I'm not not a strong swimmer for yeah. currents. Sure. And so they just pulled me across and then got me out. Mm. So you've had some remarkable survival stories. I mean, it's just incredible that um, you know, God has protected you through all of this. Yes, we knew that, and I've been in when the car rolled over and on the edge of the river. Hmm. We had a 44-gallon drum of petrol in the car, but it didn't catch on fire. Yes. 
and the Lord protect us. We had all those sort of problems in the early days, those sort of things. They're different now. Okay. They're sort of, well, the devil's working in different ways. <laughs> it's more political and, right. you know, it's Is it underneath. more complex in many ways than in it many, used to be? Uh, well, it was out in the open before. It's subtle now. Right, okay. You know, it's it's more difficult now. And I mm. feel sorry for the people because all they want is peace. Nobody wants to fight. Yes. They're all war-weary and, you know. Mm. But I suppose it's like that in any country. There's many countries where people just don't want this, but their, their leaders push them into it and there's no way they can get out of it. Wow. If you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, there's not much you can do. Mm. And we've got kids in the school now who's, who are from all different areas and we never refuse anyone from a war area. Right. Whether they've got money or haven't, we take them mm. and look after them. Is there any conflict amongst any of the different groups that come into your school and uh, do you have to carefully manage that? In the school, there's not. Okay. And a lot of the kids in the school, when there were conflict among the various Korean groups, and there have been and still is, mm. they they say, this is ridiculous. Why can't they talk? See, they've learnt that they don't agree with these things. But you have to be careful what you say. Right, okay. But we've got leaders. See, we've got leaders, kids from every group. Oh, really? We've got the ones that the ones that work with the Burmese. We've got them. Okay. We've got the ones who are fighting against the Burmese. We've got the Peace Council people, and we've got the Karen General Group that's been there for a long time. We get the top ones from every group. And they all send you to school because the standard of education mm. is so high. They all come. And the kids seem to get on regardless of the. They get on fine. If only the parents. I could mean, get the, on. The, the Muslim <laughs> the Muslim kids no no trouble with them. They're nice kids. Mm. We have, don't have any trouble with any of them. Not all with their parents. Well, wow. and this is the amazing part. When there was a lot of conflict between Karen and Muslims in the camp, every other school, no no Muslim kids went to school. Mm. They came to us. Right. And I didn't realise what was going on until afterwards. And they said to me, Pastor Lertu, he's our pastor, mm. and and Helen will look after them. There's no problem. So they came to school. All through the time of conflict, these Muslims came. Mm, but they couldn't go elsewhere. They couldn't go anywhere else. So the Lord must have something to do with us. That there's, a, there's this existing peace within your school because the devil will do anything, I guess, to undermine the work there. Why do you put it down to that, the fact that you can have this peaceful existence amongst conflict groups and even amongst children from different conflict groups and there doesn't seem to be that issue? Well, we have had a, a few years back, not long ago actually, when we had people in the school who did cause trouble. They tried sure. to burn the school down. Oh, they tried and, to burn your yeah, school? Okay. and teachers who failed them in their exams, they tried to kill them. Mm. And, and they did actually kill people in the Baptist school. They killed the, the Baptist Bible teacher. They killed him, stabbed him to death with an umbrella. They were on drugs. There's drugs everywhere in the camp. Drugs, terrible. Oh, really? Terrible problem. What kind of drugs? We're not um, talking about just beetle and, now, are we? No, <laughs> amphetamines. Amphetamines, really? And heroin. Heroin as well? Yeah. Mm. Everything. They come from Burma. Right. And uh, they sell them in the camp. And so many young people are, are mixed up in it. Mm. And then they have gangs and the gangs fight. And we've had lots of gang kids in our school. Right, okay. Or people who are uh, rival gangs in the school. Mm. And you have to make, you know, you have to work a lot with those people. Yes. And uh, the camp Is... doesn't know what to do with people on drugs. Mm. We've got a, a group called DARE which was in control of drugs, and they're the only group still left because the health people have all gone to the other side. 
Okay. The, the government has stopped uh, funding, like, you know, funding from Australia or Europe or anywhere. Yeah. It's got to go to the Burma side. Can't, they're cutting it out for the Thai, Thai side. Oh, really? Because mm, they're trying to force the people to go back. Uh, but okay. the people say, they've told me, better to starve in Thailand than starve in Burma. Oh, really? Because if they go back, there's no landmines cleared, they've mm. got no work, they've got no houses, they've got no food. Right. Now, the UN gives them money to go back, but only a bit, a little bit, and yes. it wouldn't last any time. Mm. So a few have gone back because they've got relatives in cities, but apart from that, very few. Well, incredible. So what does the future hold for you? I mean, what are your plans? I guess you, you've been playing it year by year for 36 years? Mm. Is that right? <laughs> so what are you going to do when you retire? Are you planning on retiring soon? No. Oh, okay. I'm not planning. I'll be bored. You'll be <laughs> But you are 80 plus. I'm not exactly uh, sure. I've only just had a birthday. I'm just, I've had six birthday parties for my 80th birthday, which was in February. Six birthday parties? <laughs> Everywhere I go, they give me a party. The well, praise the Lord. Well, I, I, looking at you and looking at your energy levels, I wouldn't be able to tell that you're 80. The Lord's obviously blessed you with good health, regardless of the fact that you were born at, you know, yes. six, at six months, a prem, yeah. three months prem. Um, but it, what, what are your plans for the future? What, what do you think? Well, um, I, I'm trying to train future leaders. Mm. And uh, maybe if, it's, if I can find a place to retire up there and I can advise when I, I'm trying to do less, right. but it doesn't work out that way. Okay. We keep losing teachers to resettlement or something, or they're gone, or there's someone sick. So I, I still have to teach a full teaching load. Oh, wow. Okay, so you manage the school, plus you have a full teaching load, plus you've got to plan then how these kids are going to go through the, the system, the cycle that you've set up yeah. for them, from a student to a trainee teacher, then to sponsored education, and then coming back for four years. But as you're saying, after the four years, typically they don't stay, so you've got to keep on working through that cycle. That's what we're trying to do. Hmm. And, uh, I mean, they've been very faithful. Yes. Other people give scholarships and they don't come back. Our kids come back. Oh, okay. Well, there must be something that you're doing and right. And we don't sign, you know, they say to me, you should sign an agreement. Mm. We don't sign any agreements. They just talk to us and they know that's what they have to do and they do it. Wow. Well, there must be a high level of trust then. Dear listener, you are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony and my special guest in the studio sharing her life work for the Lord with a school in a refugee camp a Seventh-day Adventist school with about 900 students is Helen Hall. We're just going to take a short break here and share our contact details if you want to get in touch. And then after the break, what we'll do is we'll share Helen's contact details in case you want to um, you know, get involved or you want to find out more information or you want to provide some sponsorship because I understand that finances will be quite tight doing what you're doing for 900 children. Dear listener, we just take this break and we'll be right back after we've shared our contact details. Stay tuned. Thank you for joining us on By the Word of Their Testimony. If you would like more information about today's program, or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249733456, or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. Dear listener, I hope you got those contact details down. Now, Helen, you, we were just talking during the break that there's many needs, especially for teachers and sponsoring teachers uh, into schools and that. And you were telling me about a lady that's got involved with uh, your ministry over the years. 
She's about 92 years old now. Yes. And her sponsorship dollars, she has not been able to be a, a, a pastor or a teacher necessarily, but she's been able to sponsor people who have ended up becoming pastors. I think you mentioned there were three pastors three. from just her donations alone. And some that are working right up in the mountains right now. Oh, really? As pastors in the, in these troubled areas where there's fighting. Mm. They were sponsored by her. Wow. And there's teachers that have been sponsored by her. Okay. So, uh, dear listener, if you want to get involved, uh, you may not be able to be a missionary and go into other countries and do that, but your sponsorship dollars can create opportunities for people who receive the gospel, who become converted to follow Jesus with all their heart, and they can become pastors or they can become teachers to help these kids out. And you can contact us. We will provide the bank account details. There's a bank account set up here in Australia. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're, you'll be able to, to, to sponsor as well. Also, if you want to write to to Helen, she has got an email. And the email is EVA Helen. So one word, EVA Helen Hall, E-V-A-H-E-L-E-N-H-A-L-L. -L, and that is at gmail.com. So EVA Helen Hall at gmail.com. And you can get in touch with her that way as well. Now, just in the few minutes that we have Remaining, Helen, you've obviously dedicated your life. Uh, I guess when you started down this path, you didn't realize the length of the adventure and how God would bless through your ministry out in Thailand. Um, is there just a word of encouragement you perhaps you want to give some people out there listening at the moment? People say that it's tough not being in a, a, a country at home and having all the luxuries that you have here. Mm. But the Lord has made it for me, and I'm very happy out there. And I, I, you feel fulfilled when you see these children growing up and being able to do something. Mm. Well, praise God. So your life is obviously a life of purpose, and you can see what the Lord has been doing as he's been ministering through you. Thank you very much for joining us today, Helen. We appreciate your testimony and sharing the work that you have been doing for the Lord in that country, even under some trying and difficult and dangerous circumstances. Dear listener, thank you for joining us as well today. We've been glad that you've been able to join us, and we look forward to catching up with you next time here on By the Word of Their Testimony. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.